that's the cliffhanger that we see with Luke on the end, and he looks a little bit disappointed. He's like, oh, fuck. What am I supposed to do <laughs> Not now? Not another like, one. <laughs> exactly. Oh, no. This fucking lightsaber again, for fuck's sake. <laughs> it was like, oh, I just, I just put on this nice white robe. I have to get it dirty? <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Good? Yes, sir! I know who I am! Did IQ just... I could have been. I have planned. I like this All shit. It is an old will. You know it's Dance off, bro. It is your Me and destiny. Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. Hello and welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast with Jason and Lee. I'm Jason. I'm Lee. And this week, we're gearing up for Star Wars The Last Jedi by talking about The Force Awakens. This one's been a long time coming. It's it's our prequel episode. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I can't wait to get into this. Uh, As I was saying, I mean, this has been a long time coming. I've been wanting to talk about this film for a very long time. I was afraid of it. I was writing an essay on it. And I got lost at just kind of breaking everything down, and, and um, so you're so you're you're letting you're you're basically prefacing us right now for the fact that this is going to be packed with Star Wars jargon, with too much <laughs> material, and you're doing your best to to minimize it, but you just know you're never going to get there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, well, uh, to be honest, the thing is, is that every time I watch the film. There's always something new that I pick up on because there are different layers that I like to 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 pick apart, and it's mm. such a fun movie. And so what I, I think I'm saying is that I don't I, I don't this will probably bury the hatchet for me. I'm not going to write the essay yeah. that I was supposed to write, and if I if I do get to it eventually, I'll probably be using a little bit of what I'm going to be saying here today. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, initial reaction. I, are you a fan of the film? I, I love the film. You? I absolutely love the film. I've seen it three times now. I'm really excited to talk about it because I have I have something three. prepared for once. I, I mean, if I, this is going to be a different from the, the Rogue One episode because at least I'm going into this with some semblance of, of something to talk about other than, I like it. I, this character, she could be improved. <laughs> you know, that's, there's I, I've done some writing. But uh, yeah, no. Otherwise, I mean, I'm just happy to talk Star Wars as always. You know, cool. Yeah, and that's it. So I'm, we're going to be dealing with a bunch of stuff today. I mean, it should be interesting. Um, I'm going to be paraphrasing a little bit from a guy that I really, really enjoyed uh, because I'm one of those people that don't believe that it's a remake of A New Hope. I understand that there are big similarities, uh, mm. but that's it. There's a podcast I was listening to two years ago uh, called Story in Star Wars by Alistair Stevens. If you guys haven't listened to that podcast yet, go check it out. I was so happy to find that podcast because he was talking about a lot of the stuff that I picked up in the movie as well. And I was like, okay, shit. Now here's my turn to talk about it. His podcast is two years old, so I don't want to people to think that I'm lifting directly from him. (laughs) So I'm using him as a source today, flat out. I'm using him as a source. There's going to be a couple of things that are going to be, you know, I'm going to be echoing a lot of what he said with regards to how the structure of the story is in terms of why it's not a remake. But then I'll delve into my own stuff in terms of individual identity. And I think you're going to be talking about, uh, I think you mentioned Jung to me. Yeah, Carl Jung. He's my dude. He's my dude for this week. (laughs) Cool. So, I mean, for all the people out there that do think it's a remake that are actually tuning into this, stay a while. Okay, I'm not going to try to convince you that our take is going to be anything different. But what I'm asking is just keep an open mind. Okay, this isn't reaching. This is Lee and I going into what we normally do. This is going to be really, really fun. Who are you? 
I'm no one. many critics of the film obviously is the remake thing and i wanted to try to not talk about that but how can you not talk about it it's so part of the discourse I, I, with regards it, to the it, Force it's Awakens. very intentional i mean it's not like yeah. that's the thing that like, people say it as if it's uh, it's, it's like a start of the film yeah exactly <laughs> but it's it's so like it's so obviously done that you have to look at it as the intention and why they did it. And that's yeah. what people... They're not getting that far for some reason. They're just going, oh, that looks yeah. like the same. We've got another Death Star. That's stupid. We see, we've already seen this film before. Like, exactly. There's, there's, there are reasons, obviously. Why would they, they... Nobody just wants to tell the same story over and over again. I don't know. That's it. There's, I mean, the main complaints, the ones that I hear all the time is like, it's a remake. It's because there's an orphan on a desert planet. There's a Death Star. There's a trench run. There's a mentor figure that dies. There's a droid that wanders and did Death with information and i mean i've heard all those complaints i get it but why are they there that's yeah. the thing even if there's similarities it's okay to me that's the same thing as saying i have a head and you have a head and i have arms and you have arms so we're the same person and then you're like no what's inside how i think how i manifest how i'm able to communicate makes me the individual that i am well, don't i don't give it don't give it all away i mean they don't they don't need to know yet that i'm a younger clone of you <laughs> oh okay <laughs> <laughs> Shh. trade secrets <laughs> exactly you know but that's it i mean you can use a hammer to hammer nails but you can also use it to extract nails if you flip it around right and i think that mm. that's what the force awaken does so i wanted to look at those little details let's just compare those little things first off just to see how they operate within each story we'll take something from a new hope and then we'll take something from the force awakens and we'll compare what the usage is in the film is that right. good all right let's look at uh the uh droid that wanders into the desert with information r2d2 versus bb8 if we look at that r2 is sent with a specific mission into the desert to find uh, an old jedi in order to get the death star plans to the rebel alliance so that they can actually destroy the empire yeah what is bb8 sent out in the desert to do 
He's carrying a map to Luke Skywalker. That's fine, okay? Mm-hmm. There is information inside the droid, but why is BB-8 sent out into the desert? To run, to hide. <laughs> to hide. He yes. doesn't have a mission except get the fuck out of here. That's exactly. his only mission is go away. No one can find you because if they find you, they're going to find Luke Skywalker to destroy Luke Skywalker. Nowhere are the plans inside BB-8 have any impact on Starkiller Base. None of them have mm-hmm. any impact on that. He's only sent out into there for survival and i think that that's a very important beat that comes out throughout the entire movie is the fact that a lot of these characters are doing their actions in order to survive they're they're trying to do something with regards to survival and so that's one of the main things if you look at what the plot involves in terms of those two films are vastly different and even look at the opening image of the force awakens the opening image of the force awakens kind of signals a lot of foreshadowing of what's actually going to be going on Mm -hmm. you see a giant star destroyer erasing two planets and then you have these four smaller ships coming out of that so we have the destruction of a planet somewhat symbolically in the opening image but then after that you have these four smaller ships to me that signifies the four personal stories that we're actually going to be going to inside this larger package which would be Mm -hmm. the star destroyer so the ships to me represent the awakenings that are going to be in the film the awakenings in the first act you'll have finn who has an awakening. You'll have Han, who has an awakening in the second act. You'll have Rey, who has an awakening in the third act. And then the fourth awakening would be R2-D2, and as a result, Luke Skywalker. So if you look at the four ships coming out of that Star Destroyer in the first image of the film, you'll even notice that that fourth ship takes a little bit more time to come out with regards (laughs) to the other three. It's really fun because it acts as like an... uh, an epilogue. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the difference between the dichotomy between the two films. That The original trilogy, you know, New Hope, Emperor Strikes Back, and, and Return of the Jedi, they're, very, they're not so much character-based. They're very much a sort of good versus evil with a, 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 a fun cast swung between them. But it shows the shift here that this isn't about a good versus evil. This is more about the smaller factions that exist within larger conflicts and i think that the imagery of those the four ships heading to the planet underneath another quite slight bigger ship just shows that you know yeah, exactly uh another one of the similarities that people have pointed out is obviously the desert planets of tatooine and jakku mm-hmm. um and to me there's a significant difference in how those planets are utilized and i wanted to go back because two years ago again i asked uh carrie lynn what she thought about why there was another desert planet in the force awakens and this was a response, and I really wanted to quote her verbatim, so I asked her to text this to me. Well, I, it's a text <laughs> that I kind of copy-pasted from two years ago, so shout out to Carrie. Thank you. I kept – this is how much I listened to you. I kept what you said verbatim. And she said this, people say that Star Wars gained a lot of inspiration from Dune by Frank Herbert, mm-hmm. and that Herbert made the comment that he liked the desert setting for beginnings because throughout human history – it has demonstrated itself to be uh, the setting of the births of major of movements, peoples, and religions. He felt that it was the harsh conditions that spurred people on. Just as necessity is the mother of invention, hardship brings out the most strength and courage in people, as well as conditions them to be more receptive to belief in the supernatural and other attempts to recuperate and make sense of tragedy. He felt that deserts were the birthplace of the extraordinary. If you look at it, sure, both Luke and Ray. Um, we come to find that they're extraordinary, but the main difference is how they perceive their environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if you look at Luke, Luke is bored with Tatooine and he just wants to get the fuck out of there. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. And he's disappointed in Uncle Owen for keeping him on for another season. You know, he's just like, come on, man. And he even says it looks like I'm going nowhere, but he really, really, really wants to go. Yeah. And if you look at it, Luke 
I mean, he's sitting down with Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen. He's he's eating food. He's got that nice blue milk. And so you can say that he doesn't really have it hard. He even has his no, speeder. He wants to go play with his friends. He shuns yeah, his chores. Yeah, he complains about his chores more than he actually has to, to deal exactly. with the hardships of the desert. <laughs> I wanted to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Yeah, and you're exactly. like, all right, cool. But I mean, if you compare those two things, how does that match up with Ray, who says constantly that she has to get back to Jakku, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that stays on the planet, hoping that her family is going to come back? Yeah. Luke wants to leave. He wants to be on an adventure. Ray doesn't. And this is one of the main big differences for me is when you look at why Luke is forced into using the force in a way, it's because his aunt and uncle are both brutally murdered and that's that's an image that's no longer in a PG movie, you know, burned at the stake. <laughs> you know, oh, we but get I some mean, murder. We get some murder in uh, Force Awakens, but yeah, we do not see two skeletons charred out outside the exactly. fucking house. Like, okay, <laughs> you see that today, you're like you're behind your kid's eyes and all that. Although I did take my kids to see Logan, that's not a big deal. But uh, I mean, what I'm looking at is that Luke's Luke's desire to learn the Force is actually, if you look at it very carefully, it's actually motivated by revenge, and it comes out of nowhere too. Like you know what. But Ben, you know that that weird story you told me in the hut earlier ago? You crazy old priest. You said that uh, my father was a Jedi. You wanted to give me his laser sword. So I'm going to go with you now. It kind of makes sense now that I'm kind of feeling emotional about what happened to my mm. aunt and uncle. It's it's the difference of the times that these films were made as well. I mean, very much the embodiment of, of Luke's story, that sort of setup and that call to adventure. It's very much kind of like what Lucas was going for with regards to a World War II parallel. It's yeah. more like, uh, the, like the draft, you know, enlistment to the army that that yeah. you're bored at home you have a rural life shit is dull you're just doing Come your chores you're living going in yeah. and out with your friends it's really boring man if only Get there was some the sort shit. of a, some sort of adventure then somebody bombs your house and you're like you know what i'm taking it to them <laughs> yeah. exactly so i'm gonna go out and beat the shit out but, of them but it, the difference with the force awakens is we're living in post-war you know this is this is now what's left go, her desert is the battleground the the embers of her life and she's not looking to join an army she's looking Nothing, to survive no. she is just exactly. going day to day and the adventure and she still wants to come back because that is her fucking home even though i mean we got a setup for her character an amazing setup and one of the one of the little images we get we see her ticking the the days on the wall of the inside yeah. of the AT-80 which she lives in and it, it that's that imagery is like prison you know it's like you're being held captive you know so she is kind of stuck in this place both as a prisoner but also as someone who lives there you know and wants to fix it it's only a progression of the times in which the force awakens was made in compared to when a new hope came out you know it's the difference of what happens after the war and that's that's the sort of obviously where the draft idea of where ray's character comes from and almost where everything beyond that for her characterization spurns out of it's that survivalist nature good exactly that's it and that that's exactly how she ends up using the force in the first place right luke is motivated to use the force in order to get back at the empire that fucking killed his aunt and uncle to a certain extent <laughs> right you yeah. know i'm gonna become a crazy wizard like my father before me <laughs> however <laughs> ray, ray, <laughs> oh, what a ray, ray uses the force for survival exactly the way that you pointed out i mean luke has everything on tatooine he needs to grow you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, he's well fed. Everything's fine. He's yeah. just bored out of his fucking mind. 
But Ray's survival on that one quarter portion that Unkar Plutt gives her is a constant fucking struggle. It's the same image as when we see Ray when she's actually going through her, her little routine and, and scavenging. When she, we see that giant shot with the desert, uh, she's still wearing her mask at that point. She takes yeah. it off and she takes that little swig of water. Everything that she has on that planet is just enough to survive. She gets a few drops of water. That's just enough. Unkar Plutt gives her just enough food to survive. There's nothing plentiful of what she's doing. And yet she chooses to stay there. Exactly. So Luke's focus is on leaving, whereas Ray's is on staying. Mm-hmm. We're seeing two very different images in our main characters. So if we look at the two planets again, Jakku is an incremental narrative function in Ray's growth, whereas Tatooine isn't really for Luke. Yeah. Yes, it's a place, a birthplace of the extraordinary, if we use what Herbert was saying. But if you look at Ray, Ray, there's a lot of imagery that goes along with the fact that she's going to be growing out throughout those three entire mm-hmm. acts. A lot plays on water. A lot plays on geographical location as well. The fact that she travels from planet to planet to planet. I'll also be bringing up uh, trees as well. Trees is very important oh, well, there you in go. regards to uh, Jung's ideas on um, adult maturation. So, I mean, that's totally, again, very there much in line with those character arcs. But that's it. I mean, if you look at how those planets are structured, if Luke leaves Tatooine, he spends a lot of the movie in the second act on uh, the Millennium Falcon. So he's in space, mm-hmm. which is a transition from when he touches down again on uh, Yavin 4, and then after that, he goes back into space and he destroys the Death Star. Obviously, there is a connection there, but nowhere in the middle do we actually see Luke uh, on any other planet. We don't. Yeah. Planets don't figure into his overall growth as an individual. Whereas Ray, being on a desert planet, having to use a little bit uh, of water to survive, and it, when she actually leaves and goes into space, and when she finds Han Solo, Han Solo in the middle of the second act, we're actually on Takodana. Look at the difference in between those two planets. You're talking about trees and water. Yeah, exactly. You know how they say that too much of a good thing can be bad? This is where Rey actually refuses the call of adventure, right? She goes from having Mm -hmm. nothing to having everything all at once. She goes from knowing very little about who she is as an individual, and then she finds Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, she has the Force vision, and then she she completely loses her mind because Maz Kanata says, hey, you have to go find Luke, and she's like, I don't want any part of this. Leave (laughs) the fuck fuck alone. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm like, I'm not doing any of this stuff. What are you talking about? You know? And so that's the the, the whole contrast between mm-hmm. those two planets is like her having not enough to survive or just enough to survive and then her be giving a whole burden of responsibility where she's like, no. Now, if we compare that to Kylo Ren's arc in the in the in the in the movie as well, Kylo Ren, he touches base on two planets. He sets foot on Jakku, mm-hmm. but the first place that we he's on, he's going to be on one of the ships, right? So yeah. his place is in space. Right, he's part of the whole big ass machine. Yeah, he's, he's in. Part of the he's whole... in the big picture. <laughs> you know, he's already already. So yeah, Kylo Ren is actually part of the big picture. You're absolutely right. Once Rey leaves uh, Takodana and she's captured by Kylo Ren, he brings her to Star Killer Base, which yeah. to me mm-hmm. looks like an amalgamation of those two planets. No, if totally. we look at the fact that you know this is a winter place this is a dead environment it's the yeah, same it's, thing the it's tundra the exact is opposite. the snowy desert <laughs> exactly so we have that but it's also a machine where kylo mm. ren is so they're actually meeting on middle ground 
in order to kind of fight that yeah, out. So that's we, we carry really... that that um, that tree imagery as well from Takodana to Starkiller Base as well. So I mean, it is carrying the, the amalgamation of both worlds. Yeah, and look, I mean, if you just want to show the, a little bit of the development in terms of the character arcs, just before Kylo Ren captures Rey on Takodana, look at that. They're both in the forest, and who navigates the forest much more ably? Rey uses it to escape. Ren uses mm-hmm. it to hunt. It's exactly. a very very different type of imagery. He understands. He's navigated these types of forests before, and this isn't. This is a metaphorical force. He understands the idea that it's his nature. He understands everything that's around these places. And mm-hmm. so he feels comfortable in using that. You know, if we look at like we were talking about in terms of Shakespeare, the escape into the forest is an escape into the unknown, you know, that's the mystical and all that. Kylo Ren navigates that mystical very, very well, whereas Rey does not. She gets yeah, lost gets and she gets caught. Corner, exactly. <laughs> and so that's it. So that's why in the end, when she actually is able to uh, uh, defeat Kylo Ren, and we'll get into that. I know a lot of people are like, how does she master the force and defeat a guy that's, you know, like, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit and you'll see it's really, really cleverly put into the script by Kazan and, and Abrams. Um, but that's it. When she goes to Octu, we're having a, a similar beat in the fact that it kind of resembles Takodana, the idea mm-hmm. that there's going to be a forest and there's also going to be uh, water. But it actually goes with, with the beginning of the film as well, the fact that she doesn't have any water in her canister. And at the end, when she's on Act 2 going to see Luke, it's her accepting her role in all this. She's surrounded by water. She has everything she needs to grow. And we're only going to be able to see if she gets to grow in The Last Jedi when yeah. she starts training with Luke, if Luke decides to train her. Now, that's the cliffhanger that we see with Luke on the end. And he looks a little bit disappointed. He's like, oh, fuck. What am I supposed to do <laughs> Not now? Not another like, like, one. Yeah. <laughs> exactly oh no this fucking lightsaber again for fuck's sake <laughs> it was like oh i just i just put on this nice white robe i have to get it dirty <laughs> but that's it i mean that's one of the very interesting aspects of the force awakens that's sorely missing to me in my opinion in a new hope uh, if we look at the characterization in the planets you know obviously once we get to empire strikes back and you look at uh, at uh dagobah you know, the fact that, you know, Luke used to be on a moisture farm and then after that he ends up in a place yeah, that's just filled swamped. with moisture. Yeah, and you're exactly. Like, okay, okay. That's going to be spiritual growth. You know, it's a journey mm-hmm. into the subconscious, and it, you know, but that we're going to get most likely into in The Last Jedi when she's going into. Probably a, likely a parallel there, absolutely. Yeah, there's going to be beats there, definitely, but we might actually see it go in a different direction. But anyway, so I'm just saying that the planets are incremental to how the narrative structure and the character arcs. Are, are, are working within the force awakens and it's not present in a new hope in my opinion yes there is a similar intention in terms of using the desert planet but the desert planet actually has a meaning yeah. this time i mean it's, it's, it's not it's just boredom it's a different angle it's going for it's not to say that, that these comparisons are supposed to be putting down a new hope the idea no, is that a new all. hope not is looking all. to tell a totally different story. That hero's adventure exactly. is also a parallel for World War II, is also a parallel for a bunch of different struggles on grander scales and political ideologies. And it's not really what The Force Awakens about. It's far more minimized. It's far more post-war. So it's it's a different type of tale. And to try and compare them to say that one is better than the other, it doesn't really make any sense. Well, it's because it's not the point of the movies either. Yeah, I don't exactly. think that The Force Awakens is trying to be better than A New Hope. I think The Force Awakens is trying to build on what A New Hope did. Yeah. Uh, one of the other big comparisons is the uh, trench run. The fact that there's a trench run in this one, uh, in The Force Awakens, and a trench run in A New Hope. Now, let's look at how those trench runs compare. Luke saves the day. 
him using the force is necessary to resolving the main conflict, yep. which is to quell the empire, to destroy the Death Star. Okay, so him tur- turning off the targeting system, listening to Obi Wan, is him saying, "Okay, I'm going to accept the usage of the force, and as a result, I'll be able to destroy the empire's." giant fucking death machine yeah right if we look at the force awakens ray doesn't save the day at all poe does poe's the guy that's in the death run so the force itself is used in very different ways the force isn't even used in order to destroy star killer base yeah the right? equivalent in this one with regards to usage of the force is ray manages to snap anakin's lightsaber before kylo ren can get it using the force that's the parallel at that point exactly. in the film it's a totally it's a totally different message and use and that's a th- destroying star killer base is, a, is is an added bonus however yeah. and this is something that alistair stevens pointed out if ray had died in the snow on star killer base the day would still have been saved. You understand? Holy shit, yeah. <laughs> so it really doesn't matter if Ray's there or not. Her resolu- her using the Force is secondary to everything else that's actually mm-hmm. going on. They have to find Luke. The only thing, Ray, if Ray dies, they still find Luke, right? The main plot conflict is actually solved yeah. regardless. If Luke misses the shot in A New Hope, the they're Empire dead. The Empire wins, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's, again, it's just, it's more symbolism and more parallels just to establish how the focus of these films are totally different. It's kind of fun, and I mean, so if I look at also the comparison, the fact that we're using Death Stars in each film, mm-hmm. okay? A giant Death Star versus a regular Death Star, which is always fun when you're like, oh, it's a giant Death Star, and you're like, ah, there's still a way to blow it up. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, okay, let's try to find a way to blow it up. It's actually kind of cool. But if you look at how the the Empire uses the Death Star and how the First Order uses the uh, Starkiller base, this is really interesting. Death Star, death, kill. Death Star is something that's supposed to be very diabolical, you know? It's like, it's 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 hinting at what might happen. Starkiller base shows intention. You understand? They're killing stars. That's what it's used for. We're not used... You know, it's yeah, really, it's, really it's interesting. Not, it's, to it's me. not, to, yeah, it's not supposed to be a vague idea of what it's planning to do. It's a very specific, <laughs> intentional tool. <laughs> exactly. And if you look at how the 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 empire, the empire uses the Death Star in order to show their dominance. Yeah, you understand? Mm-hmm. They they don't just recklessly start killing these bu- like uh, a bunch of planets or like that. They'll destroy Alderaan to make a point. Starkiller Base shoots down five planets at the same time. Starkiller Base is used to attack and usurp everything that has to do with what the Republic stands for because Mm -hmm. they disagree with everything that's going on. This is a terrorist attack. We're talking about post-war again. I think that that really plays into the symbolism as how Starkiller Base is used versus how the Death Star is used. You understand? The devastation Mm -hmm. in those two things is very, very different in terms of intention. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's one thing that I wanted to bring up quickly is um, Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren was one of, this is one of the main things that I'd heard people uh, complaining about and I want to put this to rest because Kylo Ren, yes, is a skilled uh, guy. He's not necessarily fully trained because even Snoke says, this, bring Kylo Ren to me. I have to complete his training. So he's not fully trained. But yes, he is more trained than Rey is. Uh, Finn is a little bit more trained than Rey possibly is, not necessarily with the Force, but because he's went through rigorous training with the First Order. You know, um, they're talking about reconditioning, which is interesting to me, which means that a lot of these people are brainwashed to be conformed to things. And we'll be able to get into that a little bit later with regards to masks that they wear. But uh, Kylo Ren, the fact that he's overpowered by Finn and Rey, to me, is one of the most uh, well-planted seeds throughout the entire Force Awakens. Right. Their script really makes an interesting point and a really big deal 
out of Chewbacca's bowcaster and its firing power. If we look at that, that's basically, you know, Kylo Ren gets shot by Chewie at one point. Yeah, absolutely. And so if we look at how the bowcaster is set up throughout the entire movie, Han is impressed by it when he shoots the dudes from the Guavian Death Kang. When he shoots it after Chewie gets shot in the arm, he goes, wow. You know, it's yeah, like, exactly. I've never used this gun before. This is amazing. And then after that, when they're on Takodana, he asks Chewbacca, can I use that? Can I borrow that thing? And then he shoots a bunch of stormtroopers with it. And you see that they just go flying and boom, boom. And he says, I really like this thing. Yeah. Every time one of those blasts leaves that bowcaster, it inflicts so much fucking damage. Even when you remember the, uh, there's a scene where the um, the elevator shaft opens and then you see just two stormtroopers fly out. It's because Chewbacca's shooting them and they hit yeah, the wall. Exactly. That's, yeah. Now, okay, now if we look at Chewbacca, Chewbacca cho- shooting Kylo Ren in the abdomen, Jesus fucking Christ, we've seen that bowcaster inflict so much goddamn yep. damage throughout the entire movie. And then we see Ren take one and take a knee. How fucking hard do you have to be? Or how yeah, strong do you to have to be flying. to actually... <laughs> exactly, <laughs> he doesn't go flying. And so that means when he's actually facing off with Finn and Rey, that's a highly injured Kylo Ren. Yeah, That's absolutely. a guy that's suffering like a maniac because his furry uncle just shot him <laughs> before he went off to actually have a lightsaber fight with two individuals, mind you. Yeah, exactly. And he continuously punches himself in the fucking stomach. Yeah, he does a fucking primal war pant at his gunshot wound just to rally himself throughout the fucking battle the guy is just going he just keeps going (laughs) (laughs) but i mean is he trying to keep himself awake is he trying to use the pain in order to fuel some more is he uh, you know stopping himself from going into shock because he's bleeding what the fuck you know that he's a machine man and so i figure that ren is stronger than he's led on to be in that fight on starkiller base when he's actually fighting with uh, Finn and Rey, they don't necessarily overpower him. I think he's stronger than he lets on. He pretty much, and get, the thing they, they get they get lucky to get away with their lives. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's what it is because if you look at how he fights, man, that's a savage motherfucker right there. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, even the comparison of Han Solo and Obi Wan being mentor figures that die. The funny thing is, is that Obi Wan actually teaches Luke something. Han doesn't teach Rey anything. Yeah. In the movie. He says, you might want to come on board with the Millennium Falcon. You know, uh, we're looking for to hire someone. But he appreciates the knowledge she already has. Yeah. Because he figures he doesn't have to teach her anything. Whereas Obi-Wan actually wants to teach Luke the ways of the Force. He's not, you know, the, the comparison is there in terms of like this mentor figure. But Han isn't mentoring anything. He's in yeah. it once he sees... That's the funny thing about the awakening with regards to Han, and we could get into that a little bit later. Han's awakening only happens at the end of the second act when he sees Kylo Ren taking off with Rey. He's, he seems to be protective of Rey in that, you know, oh, this is the person that might actually, you know, she, she likes the Falcon, which is something I like, which is kind of fun because they have something in common. But mm-hmm. it doesn't go any farther than that. And then after that, he sees his son. That's potentially the father figure, mentor figure, where you're like, oh shit, that's where he fucked up. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a it's a complete subversion of what Obi-Wan was doing, where Obi-Wan was trying to teach Luke and he didn't fuck up. Luke actually goes on to become a Jedi, right? Mm-hmm. 
Han can't teach Ben the ways of the Force, and he can't teach Ray the ways of the Force. They're going to have to lo- learn <laughs> through Luke. If anybody has to, anything to do with this, is the fallen figure that is Luke. Luke is fallen, and at the end, you know, he they said like Luke went into exile. One of his students uh, turned against him, destroyed everything that he was working for. You know, so we have these mentor figures, but at the intention of these mentors is completely different. Obi Wan succeeds in continuing to train Luke. After that, he goes to send him to Yoda. He fails, but he goes back to Yoda, completes the training by defeating Darth Vader. Whereas if we look at the beats with regards to Rey and Kylo Ren, Han doesn't contribute much. No, as you were saying, the fact that Luke looks up to Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan looks down to, uh, looks to look as a sort of protege. Or the, yep. the same does happen with Rey and Han Solo. There is a mutual understanding. And Kylo Ren does, when he's torturing Rey, does say like, you, you're looking to Han Solo as a father figure. He would disappoint you. He would disappoint um, you, exactly. Exactly, you know, so it, it is tr- it is true that Rey is looking up to him. And Han Solo, by offering the job position, is looking to, to be some form of figure in her life. But... And it might also come from the fact that they've both failed once before in in raising their own protege, both in Anakin and in Kylo Ren. But the ideas mm-hmm. of what they're actually getting this new protege for isn't the same. Obi Wan is looking to continue the struggle that he failed. He wants to right his own mistake, but yeah. and he wants to make sure that Luke's the one to do it. You know, and it, he feels it's right that he looks after Anakin's son. But Han Solo has no real relationship to to Rey, and the the partnership that they should share is really just for him to continue avoiding his his actual trauma Very actually good. dealing with his son and, and just <laughs> try to right his wrongs on his own terms but his own terms involve never looking at his son again and getting the fuck out of Dodge <laughs> so it's a totally different relationship and it's trying to tell a totally different story the fact that Ray does get captured is almost just a forcing of his hand to say ah oh, for fuck's sake now yeah, I do I really, have to deal exactly, with my son that, I really wanted that's to that's the awakening <laughs> exactly that's the awakening right there but I, I, at the <laughs> same time you know he still even in the beginning of the third act when he's talking to leia and he's like if luke couldn't do anything how can i you know he's still yeah. trying to shed this responsibility Only for the like, fact leia says talk to him and try and bring him back he doesn't want to do that he just he he knows it's the lost cause if and he that's exactly what he said when he says look failed what the he's just han solo there's no fucking way you can get his shit together better than look ever could so why bother but he, his arm is twisted <laughs> then he's like his all arm- right i'll confront Kylo Ren's demons for him. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, it goes with the beats that he had in in, uh, A New Hope. You know, the idea that he was only in it for money. But there is still, there's good in Han Solo. There's, he becomes an army general. He becomes a guy that actually has a purpose. Yeah. And mm-hmm. negating that purpose. You know, look at, look at just when he's sandwiched between the Guavian Death Gang and Kanja Club. That's, that's exactly where Han Solo's life is in The Force Awakens. <laughs> he's caught between a rock and a hard place. He, he has nowhere to go. You know what I understand? If you look at how he has to go with Rey and Finn at the end, he's like, well, shit, this is the only place I have left to go is to become that army general that I was. When they say to him once they board the falcon you're han solo he says i used to be yeah you know you're like look at that he's not the one that they think and even chewbacca he says isn't he a war hero and chewbacca goes "Uh." i don't know (laughs) to me he's han solo you know what i mean it's like yeah we fought a little 
There's also a difference in the intention behind both mentors' deaths. I mean, Obi-Wan yeah. sac- is a sacrifice and a, and a knowing one at that, you know. His death is so that he can be an even stronger mentor for Luke, you know. He's mm-hmm. more useful as a as an internalized voice than some do- old guy hanging around in the back of his fucking X-Wing shouting advice, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> but Han Solo, to Rey, his death doesn't mean anything, you know. It, well, it means that she's lost that avenue in finding a father figure figure and trying to move yeah. on but I, you're more or less given the idea she's given that up from the moment Kylo Ren taunts her out of, about it and and he's there to save her more importantly <laughs> um, but also his death while it is a sacrifice it's a sacrifice to the wrong person it's a sacrifice to Kylo Ren and it's not even a knowing one he doesn't know he's about to get fucking killed I, I completely agree with you I, I think however the way I see Han's death I remember seeing it the first time and going like this is predictable and it fucking sucks However, like having seen it, and I'm not saying how many times I've watched it, um, <laughs> I think that there is in the performances something that's there, that, that there is an understanding that this is what's going to happen. And Han is hoping for the best. Han hopes, and the way that I see it anyway, is that I don't think he's surprised by the action of Kylo yeah. Ren. I think that he's expecting it. You know, even Kylo Ren's reaction after that is one of confusion. If you look at his face very carefully, he's like, what the fuck just happened? Whenever I watch that scene now, I really studied those faces carefully. And then that's intentional. The fact that when he just with that lightsaber, he's like, okay, Han Solo, this is him doing one last thing. This is him coming in to, uh, at the same thing as at the end of A New Hope, he's coming in to kind of shoot Vader out of there and mm-hmm. hope for the best to see if Luke can actually get the shot. By sacrificing himself the way he did, in my opinion, I I think that Solo did sacrifice himself the same way Obi-Wan did, but for a very different purpose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that Obi-Wan sacrifices himself because he knows that Luke will be able to benefit, continue on and become strong in the Force and eventually defeat the Empire. I think that Luke uh, Han sacrifices himself in order to save his son to bring him back to the light side of the Force, which is a different beat altogether. Yeah, I mean, it's optimistic even to look at that. I would say if he does sacrifice himself, it's more because he doesn't know what else to do. (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah. I could be reaching with my interpretation of the scene, but I mean... There's no no assured nature in Han Solo, unlike Obi-Wan, who's like, you know, strike me down, I'll fucking, I'll fuck your shit up. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. But yeah, Han Solo's like, uh, you know, whatever it takes, just do it. (laughs) (laughs) I I agree with you there. I, I completely agree with you there. I just... You know, a part of me wants to think that even when we get into The Last Jedi, uh, Solo's death is going to be hovering over Kylo Ren's conscience. Oh, absolutely. There's going, there's going to be doubt. something there, definitely, that's like, fuck, what the hell did I do, you know? Because that look on his face after it, you know, even I think I read somewhere that in the novelization of The Force Awakens, there's a little bit, there's like a two sentences that are added to interpret how Kylo Ren actually feels about that. And it's, it, it is utter confusion of, of mm-hmm. what he just did. You know, he's not accepting it right away. He thought that by striking his father down, he'd feel all powerful, but he actually feels weaker as a result, which yeah. is kind of interesting as, as a little narrative beat inside like a novelization. But uh, I don't don't quote me on that. I, I remember reading it, but I didn't write it down. So that that's one of the things that I was like, OK, he, he doesn't feel the way that he was expecting to feel is what I got from from reading that little part. So, yeah, anyway, I mean, there are many other similarities with regards to, like, how, how The Force Awakens, like, the beats are there and all that yeah, stuff uh-huh. kind of goes and echoes A New Hope. But, I mean, 
I just want people to look a little bit farther into what those intentions are. You know, this is to me, you could look at it as a celebration of what a new hope actually did. And and at the same time, trying to take it in a different direction, which is why I think this is a really fun film. It's a really good film. And I love watching this one a lot. You know, there's a lot going on in it. And I, I mean, like I, I said, I, I'm happy. I'm happy for people to overanalyze stuff like we do and, and see these choices and uh, and still find them lacking or something like that. You know, still find a, like that that didn't go far enough for them, and that's fine. That's it's fine. Just kind of getting it. onto that foot. You know, it's not sort of making half the argument and then stepping away as if that made sense. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's it. The, the excuse. Of, well, there's another Death Star, and you're like, I get yeah. that, but why is it there? That's the, <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you want to talk about criticism let's let's delve into it let's look at why it's there that's all i want that's all i ask is just let's just look at let's have a conversation about it you know what i mean so anyway i'll let you get into jung because that's we're going to be talking about identity for the next part of the the show and yeah. I, I wanted to you to get we, into your we've stuff been because bouncing I have back awakenings as well, as well. and I, I you know yeah, that ties into that. a lot to what I obviously I mean it's in the fucking title of the film so it's obviously going to play a big part in most of the interpretations of the characters but I did I, I was interested in that side of things and my part of the discussion is going to focus on what I see as the three central I was I, I've written here protagonists I mean characters <laughs> you know because one of them isn't uh, Ray Finn and and Kylo Ren. And I'm not, I'm not entirely excluding the other. I mean, Han Solo obviously, as you say, has an awakening. His his decision to 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 pursue Rey and and ultimately reluctantly uh, confront his son is also an awakening. And R two D two is obviously an awakening. And I'm also, I, I'm not entirely excluding Poe as one of the main protagonists. And I have something for him, but I have a little aside for him at the end of the sort of reading, but. I don't see this as his story. I see him as part of a cog that will be probably later explored, but he's more of a representation of the bigger conflict in a personified form than I see him as a real fully developed character. He is a supporting character to the other arcs in this story. I don't see his own story here just yet. So I'll I'll probably get into that. But I want to discuss how the the Force Awakens embodies some Jungian ideas on individuation, uh, which broadly is the process by which a human being is formed and differentiated from other human beings, to sum up Carl Jung's description of it. Uh, And I want to look into that process a little, explain how it applies to our main characters, and from there explain what we're supposed to take away from those choices in the film as a result. So first, I'm just going to give a little quick layout on how individuation works, uh, because and, and, and to do that we need to look quickly at the unconscious, which is a huge sweeping study that Carl Jung went into. And I'm getting from... Most of my quotes here uh, today are from a book called Man and His Symbols. Uh, it's published nice, in 1988. Yeah. Uh, it's edited by Carl Jung, uh, but most of the writing in it isn't actually from him. He sort of opens it. Uh, and in particular, I'll be talking mostly about part three, which deals with individuation. And that was written by Marie-Louise von Franz. Uh, so most of my quotes will be from her, but I'll let you know. Anyway, Jung often discussed the unconscious, a realm of perception internally that helps strengthen our understanding of what we do and do not consciously absorb. It happens separately from our conscious mind and helps us break down or unravel the symbols of the world on levels the conscious mind cannot. And occasionally it relays information back to the conscious mind through dreams. In his words, man also produces symbols unconsciously and spontaneously in the form of dreams. That's just me backing up what I just said. 
<laughs> I'm following you up to now. Expanding on this idea in regards to individuation, Von Franz wrote, Thus our dream life creates a meandering pattern in which individual strands or tendencies become visible, then vanish, then return again. If one watches this meandering design over a long period of time, one can observe a sort of hidden regulating or directing tendency at work creating a slow, imperceptible process of psychic growth, the process of individuation. She goes on to talk about how individuation is a involuntary and natural process, and that the idea that we describe people with the concept of arrested development suggests we all have the ability to mature with individuation, something that's very applicable to everybody. Everybody has the capacity to become an individual person. And that's also a key word mature. As Von Franz writes on the effects of individuation, gradually a wider and more mature personality emerges and by degrees becomes effective and even visible to others. So I want to discuss in relation to The Force Awakens how each of our of the three main characters I pointed out tackle the unconscious pressures of their development in three separate avenues, each tapping into a suggested power of dreams and unconscious thought, and thus awaken more mature than before. Very cool. And so first, since it happens at the very start of the film, I'm going to talk about Finn. Finn's awakening comes with a bloodied hand on the Pfizer, which I mean, I think that was the first. I you, we were talking about how like the uh, they they don't uh, show you know charred skeletons in Star Wars anymore. To no. me, that was just as fucking haunting, man. When I watched that the first time, we see the fucking blood on that face. I'm like, holy shit! What the fuck? Like this, yeah, thing, yeah, you get to see like man. active PTSD in the stormtrooper. I'm like, what the fuck? And this and the and the shift to that stormtrooper is so. It's almost surreal because it's not really pronounced. The camera just sort of starts. It's 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 like one long draw from where Poe was. It just happens to land on the stormtrooper ne- next to one of the guys that Poe shoots back at, and then he goes over and sees his yeah. dead friend, and the dead friend puts the blood on the Pfizer, and I start like, holy shit, that's terrifying. What the fuck? Are they going to start it's, showing it's, us like it's the a, bloody deaths of all these stormtroopers? <laughs> the thing is, it's a baptism in blood, man. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, and what I mean in regards to individuation and how this is sort of his awakening, and it's it's all there. In in the cinematography, and this all kind of relates to the idea of the unconscious. What we aren't given is an external monologue on how this is a terrible moment for Finn. We can't even see his face, and we'll get into masks later, but this all suggests conscious interaction with this moment is beyond him at this point of time. But the blurred camera, the flashes, the rapid edits of Finn's panic, that symbolizes his awakening in the world and the dawn of the individuation. That's the sort of dream sequences that this mm-hmm. is beyond him from a conscious perception. This is an unconscious freaking the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, mat- ma- that maturing comes quickly. Finn abandons the First Order with Poe's help and pursues his own path to right his wrongs and join the rebellions. That's his action in the form of maturing. Finn's individuation right. tackles one of the pressures that impacts individuation, however, and that is societal pressure. Finn's maturity was arrested simply by the order with which he grew up in. And throughout the story, we see this haunts him after he has made the decision. He's branded a traitor. He confronts Finn about the fact that he, he basically has to hide the fact that he's a stormtrooper in the first place. And he's forced to confront the, that societal pressure twice in the form of the stormtrooper who calls him out as a traitor and in the form of Kylo Ren, who gives them the same name when they eventually come to blows. Rey tackles a different form of pressure from societal, and to me, that's the individual pressure. Her family gone, it's left to Rey to understand exactly what she wants out of life and how she intends to mature. Her feelings on the matter are mostly driven by a desire to belong, as mentioned by Maz and Kylo Ren, 
and her disillusionment with her surroundings envisioning herself as an old woman across from where she scrubs scavenged parts and seeing that as a mirror of herself back on Chaku at the very start of the film she's seeing that she's kind of looking at herself trapped forever on Chaku we're getting to see that she's coming to terms with the idea of who she is and where she wants to be her individuation comes with a dream at least the threads of it i i think we were discussing before the show it individuation itself uh, actually does most likely come from the torture that she goes through with kylo ren but uh, the dream sets down That's what I believe, I, the yes. dream sets down the uh the groundwork one ex- the one where she experiences the force vision when she touches anakin's lightsaber she realizes as maz kanata says to her that her family is never coming back to her now whether she grapples with that entirely after that discussion that's probably where the torture sort of makes the actual leap into the individuation itself uh but the fact that her dreams are picking up unconscious ideas and trying to express those to her that she can't make those come across consciously that's exactly what i'm saying about how the dreams relay stuff that we can't perceive in day-to-day life without their help and that's very much what young was trying to say so she has to then decide her own path from that point separated from her imagined expectations and the guiding forces of her family and thus she takes her first steps into becoming her own person which is furthermore exhibited by the, the will of strength she has when she's confronting Kylo Ren. And that comes in the form when she's in touch with the Force and she breaks free of that torture, also reflects back on Kylo Ren and, can, and is aware of who he is. We could see that as her being fully aware now of, or at least a little more aware now of who she is. And that from there she can actually see how she is different from others. And also what she sees in other people. She sees how Kylo Ren is alone. It's very likely she only sees that because she's finally realized it about herself. Kylo Ren was burgeoning down on her about how she has been forgotten and how she pines to belong somewhere. But she breaks free of that and looks at how Kylo Ren is also alone and angry and overcomes him because he's not willing to accept that about his personality. He's not willing to accept that. He's always pushing down that awakening and that that understanding of who he is. He's not alone. He has the dark side. He has Darth Vader, you know, that kind of idea. Yeah, I I like that, man. That's good. So we're seeing here that she symbolically, she is more in touch with that unconscious side of her development. And this is something that Fon Franz actually explains by discussing the Nascapi Indians people who live in the Labrador Peninsula. As described, these simple people are hunters who live in isolated family groups so far from one another that they have not been able to evolve tribal customs or collective religious beliefs and ceremonies. That isolation makes them kind of perfect for understanding innate nature in humanity that has been untouched by the more advanced civilized forms that influence us. Uh, And amazingly, the Nascapi hunters have something innate in them that Mm -hmm. Franz details here and it's that in his basic view of life the soul of man is simply an inner companion whom he calls my friend or mr peo meaning great man so this great man this version of the soul moves from person to person and favors those who share deeper connection with their dream sending them more and better dreams to quote uh so to round out that description and tie it back to force awakens there's this thus the major obligation of an individual nascapi is to follow the instructions given by their dreams and then to give permanent form to their contents in art lies and dishonesty drive the great man away from one's inner realm whereas generosity and love of one's neighbor and of animals attract him and give him life so that triumph of ray's will over kylo ren's comes from her connection to her unconscious side and here's where we start to see the overlap with the unconscious with the force but in that it probably represents very much the similar idea like the great man does this sort of unconscious 
force that moves from person to person and is better connected when one is more in touch with their unconscious understanding of themselves. But we'll keep it centralized to the characters at the moment. Ben Solo loses the challenge of wills because he hasn't yet had his individuation come while Ray has. Ben's individuation challenges a third pressure, the familial. Ben is himself pretty firmly aware of the unconscious in some capacity. In fact, he struggles with it throughout the movie. Plagued by visions, both good and bad, including the assumed voice of his grandfather, and divided between the two sides of the Force, Kylo Ren's individuation is a conscious decision made through the torment of communication of both external pressures and the unconscious, and they all relate to Mm -hmm. where he stands in a familial sense. So, he murders his father, deciding his path, and at last taking the first steps to maturation by removing the influence of his direct family on his decisions. With this interpretation, we add a layer onto Han Solo's death, and that's when he falls into the abyss. This symbolizes Ben's connection to his father's will being banished to the subconscious of his mind beneath him. So, these three paths, these three characters, and their, their journey to mature in this story are allowed to conclude, ultimately, as the three main characters fight in the woods and there is another great little nod to Young's work and this is especially exciting because it actually ties in a little to what we might be seeing in the next film at least from what I can get from the trailer and that's the trees that's the tree metaphor I was talking about earlier as Fawn Franz summarizes the unconscious and involuntary desire to mature in dreams is quote frequently symbolized by the tree whose slow powerful involuntary growth fulfills a definite pattern end quote so now, with The Last Jedi, this, I mean, and this isn't spoilers, it's but we do see when we're talking about the balance of the Force, the image of a tree itself. So, I mean, that's pretty exciting <laughs> that uh, the Force is being given a very tangible connection with um, maturation of the mind. Uh, yeah, and even if, if people that have been reading the comics, uh, if ever you... Uh you pick up the um, lead up to the Force Awakens uh, Shattered Empire, uh, they actually have forest trees in those things that are actually part of the lore now. So that's it. I mean, Force is actually tied to dreams. Yeah, and that being tied to the unconscious and uh, the idea that it all builds into our individual ability to to break away from arrested development and grow as people, that's all pretty exciting with the idea that that ties into this. So the, uh, the unconscious and the battle we all face with maturity being firmly linked with the knowing yet imperceptible guiding force is now there. But within The Force Awakens, here we are symbolically given a battleground by which all three of these characters are being tested not only on their progress to maturity through individuation, but on their connection to that unconscious within them that drives them. Finn comes up short early on, and from that we can ascertain that perhaps his path has yet been undecided, or that he hasn't fully connected with the Force and understood what he should be doing yet. He doesn't exactly understand where he lies in the grand scheme of things. He's kind of, he's following uh, Ray around, he thinks he he falls in there. Yeah, he doesn't want to be a part of the First Order, so I mean, he's broken away from the societal pressures on him, but he he hasn't actually decided who he is. He just knows, and he discusses this with Finn, he just knows where he doesn't want to be. He doesn't exactly know what he wants to do, and falling in with the the rebellion isn't exactly his, wasn't, it wasn't exactly his intention. He's just trying to do good. Uh, But he's still looking to belong, he's still looking to understand himself, so it kind of makes sense that he falls up short in the first battle of wills between these three right with ben we see a connection with that unconscious but he's bested by ray both in the drawing of anakin's lightsaber and in their battle with one another showing her more firmly established connection and path she understands her path more clearly and with less hesitation and it's more a general desire to do good than to follow a specific doctrine such as the light side of the force she actually 
pretty much dis- disavows following that when she talks to, to Maz. But when Maz says, you know, the light's inside you, you can follow that, you can do all good by that. And she's like, yeah, uh, you know what? I don't want to touch that fucking lightsaber. Um, while even the decidedly dark side Ben at this point must still carry with him hesitation on his path. So the important thing here is what do we take away from this interpretation of The Force Awakens? And well, the idea should be that we all face this challenge. And through these three characters, we can all relate to at least one of these pressures, whether it be familial, societal, or individual. Our deciding factor when faced with these pressures can be reached if we internalize ourselves a little and attempt to communicate with our unconscious side of the brain. We are always processing reality in every facet, and if we attempt to always make logical sense of these factors with our conscious brain, we will never get any closer to truly understanding our position in life and the path we need to approach in order to tackle life. But by understanding that we all face a world that lies beyond our ease of comprehension, and by accepting that there are always pressures that will slow or alter our development in this world, we sooner can approach our own individuation, and so truly separate ourselves as individuals in the world. So, I mean, then that's like, it's all, it's all the, find yourself. <laughs> You're stronger on the inside than you know. <laughs> I mean, but isn't that a nice message, though, for the, uh, for the generations that are coming? Absolutely. I mean, it, the world's only going to get more and more are... fucking confusing if there's no straight up war to help you find you. I mean, there's the difference between Luke and Ray. Luke had a war to fight. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, that made his choices pretty fucking easy. Uh, Ray just had to find herself, and that's that's the harder challenge. You have to actually bury deep. So I mean, yeah, it's it's a total switch in in relation to what the focus on these stories are. This is far more about how individuals take away something from the film. You don't take away uh, from the, the original trilogy. You take away that call to adventure, definitely. But the adventure in this is is scary and gets in the way of everyone's development, <laughs> you know. So it's a totally different, uh, you know, foot in that way. And I mean, I guess my my thoughts on Poe, which I didn't include here, I was thinking he might be political pressure. He's far more the the bigger picture. He's more attached to that, and he becomes a personification of how the political parties are dealing uh, and and responding to each other in this film. But uh, I don't feel it's it's it again. Like I said, it doesn't feel like it's it's about his personal growth it feels more like he's fulfilling the part of growth for others in this film and definitely in regards to finn gives him a sort of foot to stand on in the fucking star wars world but yeah uh i think that that leads us nice and neatly into the masks yeah the, the, what we were i mean that's yeah, that's a, a that's earlier. a Jungian concept within itself anyway is the, the idea of the persona and the, the masks we prop up to to form an identity for ourselves in those three things there i just talked go. about familial individual and and uh societal persona falls into all those avenues that's entirely where people will put a mask to represent themselves differently from person to person so entirely exactly segues it's like like a job interview (laughs) yeah exactly they don't need to know you're you're the guy that doesn't take a shit Uh, but that's it. I mean, if you look at all of our, our, our main characters, even all the characters in the film, if you want, they're first introduced to us uh, either wearing masks literally or figuratively. Yeah. Okay? The ones that are wearing masks literally are Finn, Rey, and Kylo Ren, and the figurative masks are Han Solo and uh, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll bring Luke into that. I don't have much on, on, on him, but I'll piece it together as I'm talking about the rest of it. And it goes exactly to what you were saying. You know, these masks uh, can conceal their true nature and their true self, their true identity. Okay, yeah, if you will. And I think that the the film itself, like you were pointing out with the Jungian concept, is the respective journeys in, in achieving that individual identity, discovering your potential. 
you know, and embracing, you know, what I said before, where your place is in all of this whole thing. Look at Finn. Finn, like you pointed out, he isn't a stormtrooper. Kylo Ren isn't an all-powerful Sith Lord. And Rey <laughs> simply doesn't know her potential, you know? And that's the funny thing. Rey, Rey's a tricky one in The Force Awakens because we don't know everything there is to know about her. And she's actually hiding more shit than, we, than she's letting on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, she wants to know her place in all this. But look at the sentence that she says to BB-8 when she meets BB-8 for the first time. She says, oh, classified? Yeah, me too. Big secret. And you're like, that, ah, come on. <laughs> Come on. That means she knows something about herself that she's not telling to us, and she's not ready to tell BB-8, who's a perfect stranger. There's a part of her that knows why she's on Jakku. I'm telling you, man. I don't know why she doesn't trust BB-8. I mean, he's adorable. I trust him. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe she knows that she's being looked for. Look, you know, people are trying yeah, to find Yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? I have mm. no idea. This pure speculation but the fact that she says oh me too it's classified big secret uh but i mean like we were talking about finn to me is an interesting character because he kind of finds himself as an amalgamation of the light and the dark side okay Mm -hmm. with all this talk of balance everything that's trying to bring balance to the force we're gonna bring balance to the force even the last jedi trailer you know like i see the light i see the dark i see the balance you know yeah you know there's something else and so i think that finn is caught at once in between Rey's uh, being good and Kylo Ren's uh, evil, okay? And we're going to kind of be circling around all that. You know, there's probably going to be a weird switch up in The Last Jedi. Don't be surprised if Rey (laughs) does something really fucked up in The Last Mm, Jedi mm -hmm. because there's a real switching. It kind of reminds me of what we were talking about in the Magnolia episode with the Omega Point, the idea that we're actually going down to this one specific thing where there's going to be a huge clash of what, Mas Kanata is the fight against the dark side, but it, it has to be a fight against the light. That's why Luke says, you know, it's time for the Jedi to end. That's a, a complete opposite. We're talking about extremes. The good and evil have to stop. Yeah. We have to find a balance somewhere in between Absolutely. those two things. And I think fit, Finn fights really, uh, finds himself in the middle of all that. Uh, if we look at even the, the final battle in, on Starkiller base, Finn's the first line of defense. He's in the middle of Kylo Ren and Rey. He does take Rey's side. He has to fight against that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, he, I I understand that he's not fighting Ray, and his intention isn't to fight Ray, but he still finds himself in the middle. He's not yeah, a Jedi. I mean, he's something that there's in a the difference middle. of being like fighting for good for the sake of good and fighting as a defender against an aggressor. You know, there's <laughs> there you go. That's it. That's self defense. You could actually say yeah, that. Absolutely. I also think that if we look at you know the the uh, the suppression of an individual identity, we're going to be getting into a little bit of 1984. Not necessarily a double think, but the fact that you know. The First Order is something that uh, normally wants to enforce some form of conformity, Mm. the suppression of individuality. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that, you know, I I think that Finn is is proof that conditioning isn't permanent, that you can change your worldview, that you can change your system of beliefs, you know, given the nature of your experience, what you're going to be going through, you know, and I think that Finn expresses somewhat of a freedom of choice. And that is a complete opposite of what the first order tries to suppress with their conditioning what phasma yeah. says to general hux you know like this is his first defense you know uh, of nonconformity. i think that's exactly what they're trying to do you know by having all these stormtroopers dressed alike is essentially that you guys aren't people you're all numbers fn 2187 and just the fact that he has to ask for permission to remove the helmet 
is one of those things who told you that you were allowed to be a person for a minute. Put that fucking helmet yeah, on exactly. and get back in the rain. <laughs> you know, submit your weapon for for uh, for inspection, but at the same time, he has to submit himself over for reconditioning as well. And so Phasma wanting that helmet on is just because of that. FN12187 is not a person, but he's a representation of the rigidity that the Force the First Order wants to enforce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the funny thing is, is that he chooses to leave the First Order based on what you were saying, you know, the fact that he's going through this this process of trying to find. But he also teases Poe Dameron by saying that uh, he's he's freeing Poe because it's the right thing to do. He, he doesn't believe that. He doesn't believe in good right there. He's trying to save himself. He's trying to figure out what the fuck he yeah, has to absolutely. go through. Mm-hmm. You know, so he doesn't really know. So right now, deep down, if you look at Finn... The only reflex he has is going from being a stormtrooper, which we'll call the evil, and flee in the complete opposite direction. When Finn makes his decision to not be a stormtrooper, he pretends to be a stormtrooper in order to free Poe. You know, so he puts the mask back on, but he's a new person underneath that mask. Because when you yeah. see him for the first time on Jakku, he's just a stormtrooper like anybody else. Once he takes off that mask, he identifies himself to the audience and we're like okay that's a guy that's the only stormtrooper we see without a helmet so that's interesting to us because we can actually lump face onto that and be like okay we're going to be following this guy Mm -hmm. he takes off the helmet again shows his identity to poe puts the helmet back on he becomes a stormtrooper again once he's back in the tie fighter he takes it off again however this is the funny part is that when poe goes missing after that crash on jakku finn gets poe's jacket and so when he's walking across the desert and uh, making it to that little kind of um, uh, the little village, I don't know what they're, I'll call it Jakku village. Um, <laughs> he's taken off the armor as he goes along and he actually uses the jacket as something to hide over his head, you know, so he's mm-hmm. kind of replacing it. He's hiding from the sun, but I mean, symbolically, if you look at it, he was wearing a helmet. Now he's wearing a jacket on his head, but it's a resistance jacket, right? So he's going from one opposite of the spectrum to the other. There's a part of a charade going on where he's actually spotted out, but Ray's the one who says, so you're with the resistance? And he goes, oh yeah. yeah. The, the, the first steps he's ever actually made into developing something beyond the persona that he's put up for himself, all these masks and ideas and identities that he's masquerading in, is that he finally chooses to be by Ray's side, you know, and that that's what he yeah, wants to do. Yeah, yeah. He, in turn, wants to be someone who is compassionate and a, a friend, you know, someone who he, who can help. And this is how he finds that definition. This is what he feels. But we we don't get to see any other choices beyond that, and he gets swiftly knocked out after making that decision, you know? <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, there's definitely, there's more of his identity yet to be pursued beyond the personas he's put on front, uh, put up to blend into the plot and society. No, yeah, it's fast. It's fascinating how he's what, like, how Ray is one who gets in, ter- in touch the most with her internal identity, you know, that unconscious identity and, and develops further than the others because she starts to be- understand what makes her an individual. But when you get to yeah. to Finn, as I was saying, he's this he's this person who's unsure of himself, of his path, of what he wants to do in life, and that he spends almost the entire plot pretending to be several things that he's not. You know, there you go. So that's a better that's way of saying totally, it. It's fascinating. <laughs> And it's funny because, I mean, I was shopping at Toys R Us the other day and they actually put out a Finn action figure and he's dressed up in a a First Order outfit somewhat similar to General Hux. Right, okay. And I was like, oh, look at that. He's actually going to be donning on 
a higher officer as well. So he's actually going back to pretending to be something else. There's going to be a continuation there yeah. in The Last Jedi. It should be interesting to see that. I mean, that's that's also, that's something as well. The um, I think it's called a strong ego. Somebody who has an idea, with, uh, has a relation to a strong ego, is somebody who has a flexible relationship to personas. So we're seeing here that this might be Ooh. Finn's strength. You know, this his ability is that he can masquerade in these wor- yeah, worlds. Okay. Yeah. So and that that ability to see the outer exteriors of other people and blend into each and every one of them is a fascinating strength, and it's, it'd be very interesting to see a character who who has that ability, or at least adopts that into their actual identity and uses that to understand more about themselves. That's like a fascinating character story to me. <laughs> so it's really cool yeah. what they might be doing there if they're going down. He's he's reassembling himself with First Order stuff. That's yeah. that's bizarre. It's going to be really interesting. I'm I wouldn't be surprised if he's contrasted with uh, Benicio del Toro's character DJ. Right. You know, it's going to be one of those things that you have spies on both sides. Which is typical of the Star Wars, which is kind of fun, I find. And yeah, so, absolutely. And I mean, it actually plays is, into like the Rogue One a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if this is about uh, this story is about the beginnings of trying to find the balance in the Force. Anyway, we're looking at yeah. Rey who is trying to see the ambiguous side of the light side because she doesn't really believe it, but she falls under it. Whereas, well, Kylo Ren also falls into the ambiguous side of the dark side because he again tries to channel it but never quite captures it uh so we're seeing the sort of there's a, a spectrum of which you can fall in these things if this is supposed to be that kind of post-war story where we're mm-hmm. where we're moving away from binary conflicts and into the more gray area yeah. of uh, ups and downs exactly. and who's on the right good, side good. i mean we're looking at the idea that everybody wants to like we were saying on uh magnolia that moving to the omega point this that all the right. bits around this gray spectrum in the center of all this is just this chaotic world it's trying to find the middle ground between all these things and build a, a almost like a democratic middle with which we can all operate with de- varying degrees of bad and move away from extremes and that's very much i guess the where the political uh side of things falls into in how it reflects today's times and we're living in this yeah uh post 9-11 kind of world where um right we're seeing more like the terrorism versus these sort of big establishments and that it's like small attacks from small military operations against giant organizations and and the inability for each and every one to uh, actually sit down and communicate with each other on any real level it's it's yeah. it's all far it's so much more complex and that's why it's very fascinating to see how these characters are going to be jumping between the different sides and lines because it, technically they shouldn't be on one side or the other to operate you know so that's what i mean well, that's kind of cool yeah you're pointing that out and it really makes sense because look even in terms of social class what we're talking about a lot today is the haves and the have nots you know the, the whole middle class is completely being erased and they're supposed to be a middle ground somewhere in there yeah and even like if we look at you know how, how social conflicts have, have been there you're talking about jesus christ look there is an absence of middle ground and there has to be something in there somewhere there has to be an understanding so yeah you're absolutely right man yeah so i mean that's uh, entirely when it comes to the the masks and the personas and we're seeing that these people have a starting point i mean uh, we haven't even talked about kylo ren and his uh, his mask and his manipulation of that and that's even one that he is so totally on board with that it represents himself i mean even that's fascinating this idea of a character who has a mask that he wants to be 
more than himself. Yeah, and I mean, let's let's get into that because we'll talk about Ray last because to me she's the most uh, complex, interesting character. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the most complex. But I mean, if we talk about Kylo Ren's mask, it's hiding Ben Solo is what we're trying to get yeah. to, mm-hmm. obviously. But the thing is, is that his character fails to understand that the mask he talks to was the mask that was hiding Anakin Skywalker mm-hmm. who actually turned to the light side of the Force. Now, obviously, I think that Ren or even us today, we look at those two individuals as separate anyway. We'll see Darth Vader, but we don't necessarily see Anakin Skywalker. We know he's underneath. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the mask that Anakin chose to wear, he actually became that guy. Anakin was buried deep down inside those things. So now Ren's wearing of the mask is actually two levels deep, in my opinion. Do you understand what I mean? He's wearing a mask himself. That but is he's also an image masked. of another man's mask. <laughs> exactly. Right, and that, yeah. that's fucked up because if you're going that that deep... That means your corruption, the way that you handle things, is going to be even more lost. That's even yeah, more dark that's what I'm t- than dark. That's, yeah, but that's what I mean. That's what I'm, I was trying to get across with the idea of Kylo Ren's conflict in this story is the internal battling between him and that light side and good side is that he's so muddled. He doesn't even... Uh, He's hearing in his head this idea of what his grandfather, as he perceives it, wanted to be, and is interpreting yeah. that as a dark side. Yet he is also someone in this Order of Ren, this, these Knights of Ren, and uh, they have their own doctrine led by this other guy. And apparently, this was something more like a a manipulation on the part of this guy Snoke that Leia describes it as. You know, he stole our child. You know, that's this is yeah. a guy who's manipulated and you know d- tried to bring Ben Solo into the into this other fold. And then on the other side, even Snoke can still detect that he has good in him and he's struggling with that. He's got like these free identities that he's battling with and he's trying to to make some sort of shape or form of himself within it all with all these pressures onto him. That externalizes in this mask that he wants to be more than he wants to be himself. He's chosen to be this Kylo Ren figure, not Ben Solo. That's a fascinating, complex idea uh, and battle with identity, you know, and that's it's really interesting that they're trying to tell that kind of story, this morally great story of how somebody just can't even fit into evil or good because they're too pure a thought, you know, he can't even just be evil because it's not easy being evil. You know, that was not something that, that, that was not something the other Star Wars films ever established that was that, you know, anybody could just pop, you know, like, for example, the prequels go into Anakin Skywalker and they make evil seem like a choice that you make, you know, like, and, and it's like, you know what? I do want that par. I am going to be evil. And then he is. And then that's that, you know, I've always had the capacity into me that rage and therefore I choose to be evil. And there I am. This isn't like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Kylo Ren wants with all the fiber of his soul to be a bad guy and he can't do it without necessary steps he has to keep winning small internal battles with himself to push himself further and further down the line and he's still not there at the end of the force awakens that's incredible that's really fascinating because that spectrum is so fast you can't just be an extremist you have to find a way or you have to be into that and in some form that you can't just switch over that's that's really interesting and very weird and difficult to kind of get a turn to terms with because it's very complex and modern and and especially in terms of where the star wars idea of good and and bad fall in you know it's it's so much fleshing out of that world and just a small conflict in one character that it's fascinating. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, they even pepper it out throughout the film. Not not just him, not with what just Kylo Ren says, you know, but mm. how he's perceived by General Hux plays into that quite well. 
you know when he's actually uh, they confront each other uh, for the first time where Kylo Ren asks General Hux, he says, I want that BB unit. Yeah. And then he hesitates for a second and he says, unharmed. And then you'll have Hux says, careful, Ren, that your personal feelings don't get involved in this. And then you're like, okay, look, that means Hux has kind of somewhat deciphered the fact that because it's the map to Luke Skywalker and the fact that Kylo Ren has already had a history with Skywalker. Mm -hmm. The fact that he wants that droid back unharmed means that he wants Luke to himself. But what is he saying? Does he want Luke unharmed as well? Yeah, exactly. Because he wants to take care of it or because there is some sort of emotion there, emotional attachment that maybe he's going to need to fight him and he doesn't know how to do it. And I mean, even the reaction that Hux has at the end of the film when when, uh, Rey has just overpowered Kylo by saying, hey, you're afraid you know, when he, he shows his face for the first time in the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought that was an o- underwhelming scene. And I'm one of them. I was like, oh, fuck, what the hell is this, you know, cheesy looking dude with nice hair <laughs> doing underneath the mask? I mean, it's, and but it, that's, that's so intentional, I mean. though. <laughs> exactly. And so when Huck sees him for the first time, he just kind of gives him that, a dirty look. Is like, that's who you are? Yeah. You know, it's kind of condescending. Yeah. You know, like Ren <laughs> pretty wasn't boy, able pretty to Pretty boy care wants business. to be one of the bad guys. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you're playing bad. I'm a villain. I just destroyed five fucking planets. <laughs> but anyway, so I mean, the mask in this case for Kylo Ren is, is absolutely wonderful. Uh, before we get to Rey, I just point out, you know, I mean, the other masks that are, that are in there. I mean, Han Solo is wearing a mask as well. We touched upon it a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, it's not as the, the, like the new young ones actually have, like I said, literal masks, but the old ones, you can see that there's a little bit more nuance in how they have to portray these characters. You know, Leia, Leia will always embody who Leia was. She picked her side a long fucking time ago and she stays true to herself. She's not wearing any masks. Uh She's just trying to find her son. She's also a mother. You can see it, but she's also trying to, she's a sister, but she's also general Leia and you can see it when she's in there. She's concerned, but she's getting down to business. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. I mean, Carrie Fisher pulls it off really well. Harrison Ford's given a little bit more to do with Han Solo because he has to pretend to be the smuggler while at once knowing that he used to be a general. He yeah. used to be Han Solo. He's no longer the Han Solo that they've talked about in Legend. He's the Han Solo he was before all that, mm-hmm. or so he thinks. You know, and so that's why at the end of the the second act, when we were talking about it, you know, his awakening is seeing his son. He's like, at once he has to be the guy that's going to stand up. He has to go get his son. He has to go get Ray is a secondary to his intentions. He's like, fuck, there's Ben. I have to go find him. I have to be a father. That's another persona. He's been ditching that as well. Mm-hmm. Once they lost him, they say it. Once he, he turned, I mean... We, I went back to the only thing I was yeah. ever good at. I, I became like, no. Han Solo, deadbeat dad. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's what's funny. His his reflex isn't to go back to the army general that he was. It's mm-hmm. to go back even farther. You know those two masks we were talking about with regards to Kylo Ren? Solo has the same fucking thing. Yeah. He's not... He's ditching being a dad. He's ditching being the army general. He's going back to what we saw I mean, him that's, in the cantina on Tatooine. That's because fa- that that really does embody like older generation thought, doesn't it? Once you get older, it's always like reliving the glory days, you know. Once yep, once exactly. the the complexity of the world keeps burdening you and things get rougher as you get older. You're thinking, you know, things used to be simple. I used to go on adventures with my friends. You know, back when in my day, there was, you know, you hear that from the older generations. That back in my day, we 
we fought for our country and that was the end of it. You know, we came back heroes. And I mean, you compare that to stories of soldiers today who come back and they are, you know, dejected. They don't have any money. The government forgets to reward them anything in certain cases. You know, like there is no simplicity to being a soldier today in comparison to yesterday. And Han Solo's choice to do that at a time was supposed to be him reclaiming an identity as a good guy instead of this in-between smuggler. Him going all the way back to when he was just coasting it and living life as a fucking hedonist is just one of those... I'm going to recapture the glory days and forget all my complex worries and all these kids with their minor skirmishes and their difficult post-war issues, you know, because he's not made, he's not cut out for that world and he's trying to recapture that. And it's fascinating to see him dragged into the modern world. And I mean, that's it. That that's for Han and Luke also is wearing a mask. The idea that he's an exile, the fact that he feels like a failure at the Mm. end. You know, uh, of like, well, because Ben has gone over to the dark side of the forest. He thinks that he can't do it. Uh, Ray, uh, we're keep going on with the masks. Ray, the first time we see her, she's wearing a mask. She's actually moving something aside inside that, uh, that dead Star Destroyer. And she reaches in and we see that she's wearing these old, like goggles, uh, stormtrooper goggles. Mm-hmm. You know, like she's taken them out of the helmet and she's made herself these, these sand goggles to, to go with it. And for the first, I'd say five minutes or three minutes of the film, we're just following this scavenger who is pulling things apart she jumps to a rope slides down what is it 150 feet of rope ray throughout the entire film the way that abrams and kazan have written her you can see the potential that she has as uh, a person that can take care of herself throughout but anyway so that's we have the acrobatics anyway she's jumping down which which kind of plays into the end of the film when she's on the start uh, when she's on star killer base yeah you know she under she, she's been across this technology she scavenged this type of technology before so her her knowing her way around something like this kind of plays obviously they do yeah they do set up her character to be one who is both a obviously physically strong person i mean you can't just have you ever went spelunking i'm 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 pretty (laughs) sure it's a pretty uh physically demanding sport yeah and that's it i mean just look at the first time she reveals herself to the audience right we're talking about five minutes into the film like i was saying before where we have no clear picture of who this individual is obviously if you've watched the promotional material you know that it's a girl because she's the one that's dressed like that but at the same time the first time she reveals herself she has to take off the goggles pull down the mask that she's wearing to hide herself from the sand and then she tries to say take a squig of water Mm -hmm. so we have this five minute introduction where she doesn't say uh no actually it's not even five minutes she doesn't say anything yeah the first the first time she talks is to bba yeah which is that's a good um, 10 so minutes into her introduction yeah we're 15 minutes into the movie before we actually hear her say something Mm -hmm. and that would be like five or six minutes after her introduction we've seen her this is showing not telling this is fucking cool yeah Mm -hmm. she doesn't have to introduce herself or anything like that the first time we hear her speak it's a foreign language they're doing everything to show what kind of skill set she has yeah absolutely right so that she can climb things she can actually take things apart she goes like you said to negotiate she gets that's where she gets her food she was washing the thing she sees her future self if she stays on jakku like you pointed out which is really great the little old lady this weathered as well and then after that when she meets bb8 we find out that she can speak a different language even inside the the atat like you pointed out earlier she marking the days she has these little homemade toys she makes that little weird green bread that she has so she you can see that she's Uh self-sustaining she 
can do what all these things. She's been doing it for a while. This is part of her routine. So taking care of herself isn't necessarily a problem. And I mean, we um, even get the idea that she might also be looking for another persona, just like Finn does, with the idea that she puts on that uh, the the rebellion head, you know, the helmet. Uh, yeah. You know, it's this idea that it's we another read that so many ways. You know, it could be a longing for adventure, but it's not really played that way. It seems more like soldiering on with where she is. You know. This, uh, this idea that she's playing with the idea with her having that quality adventure, but it's really just a helmet to get her through the day, you know? <laughs> but that, yeah, but that's the funny thing, too, is, I mean, look at the juxtaposition of those two images. She's living inside something that's the Empire, but she's actually playing with something that's the Rebellion. Yeah. So we have that dichotomy right there between the light side and the dark side where we don't know where she fits in yet either. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. She's in the remnants of whatever the hell. Even look at the, the image when they pan across that large establishing shot when she's on her speeder. Which, by the way, Luke can fit more than one person on his speeder, which kind of goes with the fact that he has a family that he can support and friends. Mm -hmm. And Ray only fits one, which proves (laughs) to us even more that she's alone. Okay, these are little things that they've put in through it. And that establishing shot, like I was saying, uh, you'll have an X-Wing that's down uh, contrasted with the Star Destroyer. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. so you have these doubling of images of like light, dark, light, dark, rebellion, empire this is a remnants of an old war or something but at the same time she's kind of living in that weird pastness you know she doesn't know where to go forward and yeah. she, she's surrounded by the past the fact that she's staying there to find her family waiting for her family so it's just she's kind of clinging on to the past which is what Maus Kanata says to her yeah that but that's uh, that's you interesting know, as well I mean that's because the rest of the story doesn't deal with the person she pretends to be and that's fascinating because exactly. she doesn't redon another mask at another point you know she really does the story focuses on her actual development and how it relates to her internally and externally where she fits in but it's unlike the others who are just trying to find a place or dealing with the conflict of who they are. Ray's conflict is who she is, and there is no other conflict to her, you know? There is no alliance to anybody. The only thing is that she's waiting for her family. That's the only struggle, and that is who she is. So she doesn't need right. another mask. She doesn't need to fit somewhere else. She has the same outfit from start to finish, and that's her. But at the same time, I think the mask is the equivalent. That's why she's paired against Kylo Ren, the idea that you know he actually is wearing a literal mask. Every, all three of them, they're wearing yeah. literal masks mm-hmm. at the beginning. But, I mean, she takes hers off. Hers is for protection, but at the same time, what is she protecting herself from? It's the sand, obviously, but... I think there's still more to come. We don't know everything there is to know about Ray, And that's one of the things that we're like, okay, we're going to see where it goes. But in terms of building her character, one of the really awesome things about the film that I had picked up on, and we were talking about it just earlier, and I told you about it, the idea that the christening of the people mm-hmm. plays heavily into how the masks are worn. If we look at uh, Finn, his name isn't Finn, it's FN2187. Uh, Phasma calls him that. Then uh, he never re- addresses himself as as FN two one eight seven. Only once, just when Poe is about to give yeah. him his actual name. So he's given a name. Kylo Ren, same thing. We're introduced to Kylo Ren. Laura Santeca is the guy that says before you call. I know where you're from. Before you called yourself Kylo Ren, a uh, Snoke is probably the one who gave him that name. Mm-hmm. The other name is obviously given by, uh, you know, Han just before Ren takes him out. And so he says, Ben, that's the first time we hear the name. We're like, oh, fuck, that's what he calls him. But we never have these individuals. Ray is the only person that actually gives herself a name. Now, her name is probably going to come from someplace else, and I'm not 100% sure that that's actually her name. However, the really interesting thing is, is that we spend 36 minutes and 20 seconds 
figuring out who this person is without even knowing her fucking name. And that's genius storytelling to me. The fact that we go through almost the entire first act following this individual and we have no idea what her name is. She introduces herself to Finn. She never even told BB-8 what her fucking name is. That is awesome. I thought that was really, really cool to pick up on where you're like, oh my God, J.J. Abrams set up this entire character. The fact that she stands up to those two guys that Unkar Plutt sends to kidnap BB-8 she can fight. The fact that she can climb, you know, through that Star Destroyer, mm-hmm. she can climb. She can speak different languages, which is the why of the reason she understands Chewbacca. She's been fending for herself for this entire time. She's had to learn so many different things from hanging around this this band of weird people that are yeah, on Jakku, prison essentially scavengers. Yeah. <laughs> but, and so that's it. But then the fact that we get attached to this individual so quickly and then we don't know who her name is yeah. is so cool to me. Definitely. That at the end of the first act, we're like, she says, I'm Ray," And then I remember watching it and I'm like, fucking hell. This is the first time. This was like the third or fourth time I had watched the film. And I was like, fucking hell. What, how long has it been since we had no idea? You know, when, when Finn says, my name is Finn, what's yours? She says, I'm Ray." I looked at the time code and I was like, motherfucker, that's awesome. I like this character. I know everything I need to know about her through her actions yeah, and not exactly. who she is. Mm-hmm. You know? And that kind of goes to play against what Kylo Ren is going through as well. The fact that he is going according to the name of Darth Vader and not the person. You know? So he's basing himself on what Darth Vader was supposed to be, not the actions necessarily of Darth Vader as yeah, well. Right. The actions of Darth Vader don't symbolize exactly what Anakin has gone through because he does end up at the light side of the Force for having saved Luke at the end. But at the same time, he's going with what that name represents. You know, and what's in the name? We don't know. It's the actions that count. You know, and so that's what I thought was really interesting about finding out who Ray was 36 minutes and 20 seconds into the film after we spent so much time understanding who she was as an individual, what she has to go through, the hardships that she's been going through. Yeah, it just ties into exactly what we were saying just at the very start of the thing, that this is a a story that focuses more on characterization than these bigger struggles. And I think that all just the idea that they put so much effort into exploring through actions rather than words who these people are and what they stand for is just doubling down so hard on what exactly the story is about. It's not about the, the big sweeping statements that Star Wars went for. It's about these people. It's a very human story and that's that's what yeah. fascinates me about Force Awakens. Because aside now, from I that it's also support. super entertaining. <laughs> it is, it is. It is super entertaining. And I mean, it's about what it is to be a part of this universe and not knowing where you fit in. More than, than the, A New Hope in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think everyone in A New Hope knows exactly where they fit in. It's just trying to make the difference and enforcing their point of view. This one isn't about enforcing a point of view in my opinion. It's really about finding out yeah, scraping what the hell by what the fuck means. your point of view is. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. So I don't know man. I, I really love uh, The Force Awakens. Anyway so uh, closing thoughts on this. Uh, like I said uh, I mean, let's launch in just quickly. Two minutes on. On, uh, do you have any expectations on where Ryan Johnson's taking the Last Jedi? I, I try not to place too much hope or ambition on these things. I do get to see it later this week, and I'm pretty excited to see how it all shapes up. But I mean, when you're starting this story in Force Awakens, and it's a sort of post-war story, it's far more about the gray areas i just expect a big ball of gray areas and that's why i kind of don't want to put much expectation on it because a lot of people are going to be jumping sides and and crushing my heart you know (laughs) i don't really need to um you know put too much expectation on say 
Ray has to be the good guy the entire way through the film because she's the hero and she's like Luke Skywalker. And I'm like, uh, she's very much clearly differentiated from Luke Skywalker. She might have a bunch of other agendas and we know fuck all about it. So that's going to hurt me if I put too much faith in this, you know, like uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'm just planet neutral. I have a film that I really like called The Force Awakens. I liked all the characters in it. I thought it was a really well told story. And I'm looking forward to the next chapter where they bring one of my favorite characters, Luke Skywalker, back into it. And I want to see what they do with him if he's a he's a broken man apparently and i think oh that's pretty cool don't know much more than that but we'll see how that goes <laughs> i mean yeah i'm uh like i said to you a little early i'm a little nervous where where this is going but at the same time I, part of me is is uh, slowly coming to terms with the fact that this is not something that i want it's not something that I want happen because my expectation of where this should go is is back to where the originals were. You know what I mean? But yeah, we're heading mm-hmm. somewhere different. Well, I mean that's, that's, that's a I mean it's targeting me. those who have been growing up on the originals, isn't it? I mean, if it's about taking away those uh, binary conflicts and making the world a big gray spectrum of different individual feelings and, and thoughts you know that that expanding that's a conflict of how we were originally taught to think by these films so yeah and i mean that, that but, fits in a lot with how disney approaches their films modern anyway because they have a lot of apologizing to do for their conservative values for their entire fucking <laughs> lifetime so star wars seems to be the very conservatively paced apology for a lifetime of walt disney telling people how to feel and raise their kids and telling women right. to get back in the kitchen and shit like that so i mean that's good that star wars is the apology (laughs) definitely but that's it i'm I'm coming to terms with the fact that this is not necessarily a story the line from the trailer this isn't going to go how you think Mm -hmm. i think exactly that that the reason that's in the trailer is because guys set your expectations aside because i'm going to punch you in the nuts yeah that sounds right Uh, and and I think that that's kind of exciting. I'm slowly starting to turn around. My nervousness is going into more of a receptive uh, attitude towards where Ryan Johnson wants to take this. And I I feel kind of some sort of levity come with that because it's important to me. I love this. You know, I've got a a Mike Mitchell, Obi-Wan print hanging on my fucking wall. Right now I'm podcasting. I've got Finn next to me and Luke Skywalker. I wanted to get into it. I would have worn a Star Wars t-shirt, but I want to keep it for going to work tomorrow. Um, (laughs) I'm actually kind of happy about you know the fact that it's only five days away for me actually by the time this comes out it'll be tomorrow at the cineplex odeon fan event Uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what the extra features are and all that i'm going with jason bollier and we're gonna have a really fucked up time with a (laughs) bunch of nerds just yelling you know throughout you know this is gonna be great this is gonna be that and i'm I'm pretty positive that when i step out of there there's gonna be a lot of bitching and complaining oh yeah and i'm just you know, like I said they at the beginning to. of the episode. Yeah. It would be, just it keep would an be, open mind. Yeah, it would be fucked up if everyone agreed on how this, this next... That would actually be incredibly disappointing if everybody agreed this was this was the right and totally okay way that Star Wars could have fallen. I mean, wh- wh- yeah. wh- wh- why? <laughs> we're, I don't know, man. We're making headway in the fact that this series is adapting and maturing in a way people never thought it could. And to stop that progression now, and, and I mean, to target the biggest franchise franchise in the world to be the one that is evolving with the times as rapidly as it possibly can that's exciting that's pretty it is, yeah, great to right. be a part of yeah and that's it i'm really looking forward to it i i love the force awakens uh i love the original trilogy i enjoy the stories of the prequels the films not so much yeah, the idea but i mean of the it's prequels. <laughs> 
But I mean, if you look at it in the grander scheme of things, it's Star Wars, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's what I enjoy, is the world that these stories are taking place in. And whether or not they're telling the stories I want, or the ones that I would have told if I had had a good idea, such as Lucas did when he put out the first one. I mean, there's no way. Just just take in the world. It doesn't matter where these characters go. It's where you go with them, you know? You're going to be living something fucked up when The Last Jedi comes out. Just bathe in it. Just take it in. See what it is. And that's it. I agree with you, man. Uh, this is this is an exciting time. Like, I, I, my nervousness is slowly dissipating. I'm glad I came out just, like, a couple of days before the movie. And now I can actually walk in and be like, all right, yeah, I, I finally, let's go. I'm, I'm finally ready for this. I finally purged the last one from my system. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to take the abuse. Let's see what you do with Luke. Let's see what you do with Rey. So, sir, do you have anything else to add on our prequel to The Last Jedi on our Force Awakens episode. <laughs> no, I'm good, man. But that's it. So anyway, the usual shout-outs to the people that have been tuning in. I want to give a special shout-out to uh, Mark of the Covenant, Mark Perez. Uh, a sweet guy. Thank you so much for your feedback on The Devil's Backbone. It's been yes, really cool. thank you so much. And uh, so that's it. That's it for us this week. You know where to find us. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that. You know where we are. Uh, your friends don't, so why don't you send them to us? That would be great. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode on The Force Awakens, and we're going to be back to talk about The Last Jedi just like everyone else. Looking forward to that one. Lee, do you want to plug your shit, or would you close this out just the way it is? That's good. We're good. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> talk to you guys soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.